Welcome to My Rules Are Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay. It's been a while since I've recorded a podcast, a lot of stuff going on, but I had put this in my calendar. Well, my mental calendar, at least, that when I had an opportunity, I was going to record a My Rules Are Better. A couple of topics that I wanted to record. And let me start by saying the Orcs versus Humans, Humans, is a rule system that I'm going to be returning to with video. I'm going to try to video record almost all the playtesting through that to explain the bits and pieces. And apologies that I haven't continued with that thread, but obviously I've got a lot of other stuff going on. And travel just seems to take away from any time to do normal stuff. And I've been traveling on and off, well, for a month or so now. So my hope is that I'm resuming some form of quiet. And as I reflect this morning, I was thinking about the topics to record for the podcast. And I thought dedicated space is something that really is a luxury. To have dedicated space to play games is something I always look at. And I, do, I don't feel, although in some regard, I normally have this. But whenever I've set up dedicated space to play games, it's always come down in relative short order. I have a large gaming table that I bought intentionally to put into my podcasting room. But my podcasting room is always a room of assembly and flux, basically. And the lead pile is greatly reduced. In fact, I'm thinking I'm at a point where I withdraw the offer. I know I had an email from a gentleman quite some time ago asking if he could take a piece of lead pile. He was an international listener, which is always slightly more difficult because you have to fill out customs forms and the cost is, is slightly more elevated. But I'm actually at a stage, perhaps because I'm delirious, <laughs> the lead pile has reached a point where I don't need to worry about it quite so much. Uh, I'm rescinding. Is rescinding the right word? I'm removing the opportunity for the lead pile just for now until I've had a chance to actually assess. I'm looking around my room. Small figure cases. That's what it's actually. No, there's a large figure case there. Okay. Well, anyway, as it is now, the lead pile offer is being withdrawn for a period of time until I assess the lead pile. I have a number of miniatures out for painting currently. So when those come back and they're packed away, well, that's what I wanted to talk about, actually. The notion of miniatures being packed away. I see these people with these glass-fronted cabinets with their miniatures displayed in beautiful fashion. I've never lived that life. I've talked to my wife periodically about potentially getting one of those Ikea pillars, glass pillars, to put some of my miniatures in. She always looks at me somewhat concerned. Truth be told, actually, we do have a curio cabinet in the house that has maybe a dozen miniatures in it, including a couple of busts, which I should probably explain. When you, well, I don't know. I don't know how I really feel about the whole professionally painted miniature thing. Having gone through two years now of this experience, I think really what I'm looking for, what I've always looked for, is army painter painters. These are the people that give me the most joy. The curious artists that I worked with for many months, that didn't yield me joy. In fact, even... Some of the kind of final follow-on of this stuff. I don't know. The whole experience has not been a positive one. And I say this in part because I don't see their work in front of me, except for little things like these busts. So two of the miniature painters, uh, Roman Laporte and Fabio Russo, both of these guys were not responding to emails. I emailed them saying, you know, I'm interested in commissioning work with you. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I've got these busts, so I'll buy these busts from them as a means of, like, having a financial transaction with them to start off with. In the case of Roman Laporte, the bust was broken in transit, so 
and broken in a really curious way. The bottom of the sword was snapped off and other little things. And there, I don't know. I just don't like the bust thing. It doesn't strike me as being a particularly good way. I mean, miniature painting to me is always about miniature painting, like actual 28 millimeter figure painting. And these busts are gaudy. They stand, I don't know, maybe five inches tall, maybe seven inches tall. And they're just really gaudy things. The painting technique for miniatures does not translate well to busts. But I know all the professional painters, oh, they just love the busts. This is, you know, this is where they can charge their hundreds of euros versus, well, they charge their hundreds of euros in the small figure painting as well. But, yeah, these things are really an homage to rubbish. I really should just burn them. I should set up a video camera and put them out on YouTube. This is what I think of busts. Anyway, so I have these two and uh, a small number of miniatures. In fact, mainly the five orcs painted by my wife and a half a dozen uh, Necromunda figures that were painted by a, a gentleman in the UK who was a university student who painted some stuff for me, I don't know, how many years ago, 14, 15 years ago now. He's probably a professor by now. <laughs> anyway, so they're the miniatures that I have on public display. And I reflect rather heavily that if I had my miniatures out, I would get a better sense of them. I'd get a better sense of, as it is now, I have the rules out there around me and I have miniature cases kind of peppered around me. But the miniatures themselves are packed away very carefully. And I was watching, I have a, a nominally a YouTube channel that should follow this podcast, but has existed for maybe seven years prior called Monty's Reviews. So last night when I was looking to do something to fill in the gaps, I watched Monty's reviews for, I don't know, maybe five or six videos as I was unpacking miniatures that had been painted for me, actually by the army painters that I use. Frontline Gaming is the name of the of the crew. And Frontline also produces video. They run now live, um, like uh, ESPN, like the Sports Network. They run Warhammer 40,000 tournaments streamed over YouTube. They've recently done one in London. They're based in San Diego. So I do feel that this outfit, for all its curiosities, is at least promoting this thing and actually showing tournament play of a reasonable interaction. People that actually seem like humans versus kind of aggressive, hyper-militarized folks that are critiquing, you know, what WYSIWYG, what weapons the miniatures are actually carrying. I also had an experience, which I don't think I've narrated in this podcast, where I sent the Warhammer 40,000 Shadow Spear box set off to a fellow to be painted. Well, actually, I sent, he picked up the miniatures locally, painted them and sent them back to me. And I realized that this isn't my thing. What is now coming out of Games Workshop as Warhammer 40,000 is definitely not my thing. These are large base. They're, you know, they stand 60 plus millimeters off the table. They have huge bases. This is a different game. This isn't Warhammer 40,000. This is something new that Games Workshop has created to create these amazingly elaborate, brittle, plastic miniatures so when i received these things and unwrapped them and packed them up again i was just like just for a space marine that doesn't have a long antenna on its back what the hell are they doing with these plastic antennas everything is super breakable this isn't the game that i once knew this isn't even the aesthetic that i once knew all very curious stuff so i lament the lack of game space that i have and i also reflect on the fact that the orcs and marines that i have are no longer compatible with the orcs and marines that exist now so i'm a curio a historical curio footnote collector 
The second thing I wanted to record about was a photograph that Chris Abbott sent me. He's met up with Matthew Gibson, which is wonderful, creating these things so people can actually meet in in the real world, so to speak, is one of the main reasons I do these podcasts, because it's an amazing luxury when you're actually the person that meets in the real world. But when you can bring two friends together in such a fashion that, you know, that's just wonderful. That's kind of plus one humanity in the audio space. Anyway, Chris Abbott sent me a photograph of something that a friend of his had discovered in their basement. It's curious things. I don't know how many years later. I'd like to say 30 years. It might have even been 40 years for Chris. I don't know. But however many years later, it was a Dungeons & Dragons player's guide, first edition, where Chris had written, I should say advanced Dungeons & Dragons, where Chris had written the rules for the DM's guide without having the DM's guide. That was my life perfectly as well. I remember purchasing the player's handbook with, with lawnmower money. <laughs> Money I had made through mowing lawns. And I got the monster manual as a Christmas gift. I still have the monster manual. I don't know what happened to the player's guide. I suspect I might have given it to uh, my 17-year-old self, gave it to my then-girlfriend's brother, along with a haul of other stuff, including squats, which I may or may not have narrated in this podcast. I'm not sure, in any case. But my memory of reconstructing the rules of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons just with the player's guide and the monster manual, but mainly the player's guide, working out what dice had to be rolled, these kind of things, constructing a universe. I always wondered why the Dungeon Master's Guide was even a book. Because those of us, like Chris Abbott and myself, you know, on opposite sides of the globe, we had the ability just to reconstruct the rules from having the player's handbook, the DM's Guide, all the stuff in there. And when I owned one, literally in my adult life, I don't think, I, don't think, I mean, I might have touched one through my teenage life. But I don't think I ever owned one through my teenage life. Anyway, to hold one in my hand and realize all the ridiculousness that was in there, the stuff that could be easily reconstructed, all completely unnecessary. All it required was a miscreant teenage mind and quite a bit of time, and you have the full rule set for D&D. Thank you very much. And this put a really big smile on my face, because actually this is, speaking of putting pegs in a board, this is one of the topics that I wanted to actively discuss in this podcast, and I'd forgotten about it, and then Chris's photograph immediately reminded me I had to discuss this thing, that the rules for D&D actually did not exist in three places, but actually probably just existed in one place. And for me, the Monster Manual was just an orgy. I mean, the Monster Manual was just the most amazing thing my early teenage mind, pre-teenage mind probably, I probably got it when I was 10 could go through looking at these creatures and these statistics and just thinking about all the possible encounters that I could put my my players in in order to, you know, discover these strange, elaborate creatures. And a lot of it, obviously, is built on pre-existing mythology that I knew about, but Gygax's interpolation of this mythology and the monster manual and the smells. I mean, the books, the books had genuinely amazing, intoxicating smells as well. All these things built upon creating modules. Again, before I left for the UK, I bought five Dragonlance modules. And my recollection at the time, I probably wasn't, it probably was contemporary with my life actually at the time, was when the Dragonlance modules came out, they were just at a different level than the previous modules that TSR had been producing. A majority of my games weren't even based on modules. I created my own universes, I mean, very similar to what Chris Abbott discussed. So the nature of a module was a kind of clunky thing that, you know, wasn't really part of my D&D &D gameplay. And 
I still remember, however, looking at these things and thinking, this is a new level. The, the combination of music, they had music in there as well. These things just, was it was just a different dimension to the way modules had been done previously. I don't think in the five that I purchased was one that I owned, which was another curious experience that a lot of the stuff, I mean, going to Fighting Fantasy Fest, for example, holding these books again in my hands, but I didn't really, when I got the books, I was looking for them more associated with what their condition was for signing, not the actual underlying stuff, although I did flip through and see some of the pictures and this kind of stuff. But the experience of holding these things, these are all very, very distant memories from me, and certainly very distant memories from my current life. The nature of white dwarfs, for example, is something because my, I've seeded my mind with this over the past seven years. I think productively the ease of getting the white dwarfs enabled me to rekindle these memories in my mind but the nature of you know dragon lance modules they're more distant the nature of fighting fantasy even more distant so it is really curious bringing all these things together to try to remember is this what i owned was this was this the same experience what what happens here associated with the neurons you know <laughs> all very curious to have one's past in the distant past but when i saw the photograph in particular chris abbott's teenage script noting the roles that needed to be made and these kind of things i thought this is a thing this is a phenomena once you have one other person doing something you know that you are not alone in some very profound sense so if this podcast stands for anything it's for the people that reconstructed the advanced dnd rules just with the player's manual that that is the kind of folk that listen to this podcast and also i reflect very heavily on what came out of fighting fantasy fest for me the notion that all these skills that we generated are no longer applicable. That what we've created here associated with rules and maps and documenting and all the elaborate universes that were created through this thing, these kids today, not so much. So is this something that needs to be memorialized as, you know, standard base orcs and space marines are now memorialized, never more anything in a contemporary canon? Is this really what this podcast is about? Well, maybe happier thoughts in an upcoming podcast. I just wanted to put these ideas out in one recording to give you some food for thought.